Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot on the program today. In just a moment, my rant today from Hartman Report, why do Americans trust Davos man to run the economy or to run our nation for that matter? What's up with that? This is not a political party. This is a cult. Nearly 70 percent of registered Republicans now say that they want Congress to impeach Biden if Republicans take back the House after the midterms. And also, Peter Fikowski will be with us. Can trillions of tons of excess CO2 be actually removed from our atmosphere? He just wrote a new book about this. And also, the Bank of England is now warning about apocalyptic global food shortages that could begin in as little as a few months as a result of the Russian embargo. They're blocking the shipping from Ukraine, from Ukrainian ports of grain to Africa and the Middle East. To start out our program, though, I'm going to get into this. Why is it that Americans don't get what we want out of our political system? You know, the majority of Americans would like Social Security strengthened, would like the minimum wage raised to 15 bucks, would like everybody to have the right to unionize, would like free college and, and a national health care system like Canada has or like pretty much every country in Europe has. But we don't get this stuff even though the majority of us want it, and the majority of us actually vote for it. Why don't we get it? Well, you know, we've got basically Davos man running the nation. Davos, Switzerland is hosting the Davos, you know, the World Economic Forum uh, this week. And the, the morbidly rich and their factotums, their, their toadies, their bureaucratic and, and uh, wholly owned politicians and media are showing up in Switzerland to celebrate uh, great wealth. Their theme is History at a turning point. And, uh, you know, it's like, why do we have this fascination with this? Elon Musk just uh, tweeted that he's dumping the Democratic Party and he's going to stick with the Republicans now. So what? But this has like become big news, right? Well, he, the so what is that he's the richest man in the world. He could buy as many politicians as he wants and he could have them do whatever he wants because the Supreme Court authorized that with Citizens United. Bill Gates is invited on a talk show host all the time to opine about 
education and, uh, and uh, contagious diseases, when his only claim to fame is that he bought an operating system and sold it to IBM and made a fortune. Somebody else's operating system at that. Uh, Howard Schultz tried to become president of the United States. Remember that? He's back to union busting at Starbucks. And Jeff Bezos is now tweeting politics, too, uh, causing some people to wonder if, you know, he's on various days the second richest man in the world, uh, causing people to wonder if, like, billionaire Donald Trump or billionaire Mitt Romney or billionaire Mike Bloomberg, billionaire Jeff Bezos is the next guy to get into politics. You know, whether it's those guys, you know, on the, you know, being right up at the front, whether it's people who are not quite billionaires but are close, like, you know, the hedge fund, you know, like J.D. Vance in Ohio or, or David McCormick in Georgia, you know, these hedge fund multimillionaires, multi maybe hundred millionaires, or whether it's the people playing in the background, like the Kochs and the DeVos family, you know, who just pour money into politics. It's like a hobby for them that was legalized by the Supreme Court. Um, why? Why do we tolerate this? What's going on with Americans' embrace of rich people running our political system for their own benefit and to the detriment of the majority of Americans? Why do we put up with this? Why is it that we even seem to love it? I mean, how can this be? Well, it turns out that it all has to do, in a way, with religion, even a scientific aspect of religion. First of all, you know, starting about 1,500 years ago in, in Europe, you had kings who would rise to power through violence and then declare that God put them there. I mean, the, 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 the coins, in, in British coins today, many of them, have an, an inscription, Elizabeth II, D-G-R-E-G-F-D, which stands for Dea Gratia Regina Fidei Defensor, which roughly translates into she rules Britain and defends the faith by the grace of God. The grace of God? Really? I mean, the American version of this came to the United States in the, in the 1700s, in the 1600s, actually, um, as a result of John Calvin, who in the 1500s founded what is today called the Calvinist, you know, the, Cal, the Calvin, Calvinists, uh, the Calvinistic religion. I, I'm, for, I, I'm not certain of its actual formal name, but um, Calvin asserted that and, and he, he based this on a, on a biblical uh, quote from Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4, 6, you know, that, um, uh, and Calvin loved to quote this, that um, Jesus had been chosen before the foundation of the world by God, and that all of us are. In other words, Calvin believed in predestination, that you're doomed or saved before you're even born. So... And, and that pretty much everybody, the vast majority of us anyway, because we come into this world through a woman, we're contaminated by that woman in us, and thus we carry original sin. And so Calvin said, you know, well, basically there's some people that God wants to rule the world, right? Uh, you know, some people that God loves. You can find that throughout the Bible. God loved David, right, for example, King David. So how do we figure out who these people that God loves are? so we can put them in charge of things. This was the big challenge in the 1500s in, in England. The John, well, actually John Calvin, I think was, was French maybe, or Swiss, whatever he was. In any case, he, uh, he, he, his answer was, God tells you who he wants to run things by who he makes rich. Rich people should run things. 
Now, you know, that was the religious shtick, and it's been used by kings and emperors and all kinds of people ever since. The, the modern version of this is, the, is using science, essentially, as if it was a religion. And this is what we follow in the United States. William F. Buckley and George Will talking about, you know, this secular version of Calvinism saying that basically those with the best DNA should rule the world. And how do you know who has the best DNA? Well, they're the ones who are smart enough to get rich. Oh, hey, we're right back where John Calvin was. We've just replaced God with DNA. And this was actually a big deal. I mean, this goes back to the 1840s. Herbert Spencer in 1842 wrote a treatise called The Proper Sphere of, of Government, in which he made this argument, um, saying that government should never provide poor people with education or health care because they got bad genes and you don't want them to breed. And that government should be guided by people who had the best genes. His ideas were picked up by Francis Galton 25 years later, who in 1869 wrote a book, Hereditary Genius, an inquiry into laws and, and, and its laws and consequences, and said that we should be actually sterilizing or even killing defective, in quotes, or substandard people. Winston Churchill embraced eugenics. He tried to get it into law in England in 1912. He was rebuffed by Parliament. And in, here in the United States, American President Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, picked up eugenics and promoted it heavily in the United States. We had posters arguing that the sterilization should happen. It was so successful that it every by the, by, by the 1940s, every state in the Union had eugenics laws and allowed sterili involuntary sterilization of people, particularly Native Americans. And, and people who were mentally ill or mentally, uh, you know, uh, mentally retarded is the old phrase, uh, intellectually challenged, whatever we call it today. Adolf Hitler, of course, picked up on Churchill and, and Wilson's slogans almost verbatim and used eugenics as his rationale for what became the Holocaust. But even the Holocaust didn't cause Americans' political right to say, well, maybe we shouldn't be looking at DNA as who should be running our country. George Will writing about how, you know, if everybody voted in America, quote, an an indifferent or as indifferent or reluctant voters are nagged to the polls or someday prodded there by a monetary penalty for not voting, he's talking about like how it works in Australia, he says, the caliber of the electorate must decline. Right. You know, this nation was founded on the rejection of a hereditary aristocracy. We said no to kings. We would be wise to return to that precept that the will of the people rather than the will of the rich must determine public policy. I'll take a Joe Biden or a Bernie Sanders or frankly even a Liz Cheney any day over a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk determining American public policy. Wisdom, insight, experience, understanding of the consequences of policy a deep grounding in the history of the United States and democratic institutions around the world. I see almost none of those things among our billionaire class who want to insert themselves into politics. But our politi many of our politicians actually understand this stuff. You know, the preamble to the Constitution says that, you know, this Constitution was created to promote the general welfare of the United States. General, not the, not the welfare of the billionaires, the general welfare of the United States. And before the Reagan Revolution, before 1980, that's what we did. 
We got Social Security, we got Medicare, we got a national highway system, we got hospitals, we got the best school, primary elementary schools in the world, we got NASA, we got debt-free college, we got a unionized middle class, all of that stuff before Reagan. And then the Reagan revolution came along and for the last 42 years, we've been taking advice from and allowing our country to be run by billionaires. And how's it working out for you? Frankly, I think that only when American government is again run by politicians who put working class Americans first, can actual popular policies, policies that more than half of Americans say they want, you know, a national health care system, debt-free college, well-funded public schools, a clean environment, just basic stuff. It's, we're only going to get it when we stop kowtowing to and sucking up to and electing billionaires and their factotums and their toadies to politics. Frankly, I think the way to get there is to overturn Citizens United, but, you know, just calling it out is a good place to start. By the way, that was my rant from, uh, from HartmanReport.com today. Why do Americans trust Davos man to run the nation? Jim in Rochester, New York. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon from the East Coast, Tom. Well, thank you, Jim. Um, I was listing online Democracy Now! Chevron had a $6 billion one first quarter profit. What is it going to take to get the folks in Congress to drag the people that run the oil companies in, just like we did a few decades back, and ask them what the heck is going on here? Well, they did that in and front of O'Connor's committee just last year. And the guys just kind of well, sneered and, 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 you know, fed them slick platitudes and it was very it was very frustrating Uh, it sounds like typical oil executive bs what's it going to take to pull the subsidies out from underneath them and also what's it going to take for joe biden to decide if you don't if you guys don't do something about these oil prices we're going to mandate price controls yeah and nobody's going to want that but he's got to scare them into bringing their prices down last week i heard you say it's costing, I don't know, somewhere in the, under $30 a barrel to pull oil out of the ground. Right, in the United States. And thanks to the, yes, and thanks to the legislation to let them sell it on the inter- international market, we're all running around with Preparation H. Yeah. What's it going to take to fix this, you think? I You're think smarter it's, it's, than it's, I am. It's going to take the election to Congress of a majority of progressive Democrats. It's, it's just that simple. Um, you know, there, there, there have been some good and, and serious efforts to do something about this. The Build Back Better legislation um, actually cut back on a lot of those oil industry subsidies, but it was blocked by Kirsten Sinema because she's openly, proudly taking money from right-wing billionaires now, and by Joe oh, Manchin, no. who owns a family coal business, which has made him a multimillionaire and, you know, is mm-hmm. like in deep with the fossil fuel industry. So we've got All a few right, bad apples in the them. Democratic Party, and we need, to repl- we need to either replace them or outnumber them. And, you know, we're seeing this happen in the House. I mean, here in Oregon, I, I, I think we, I don't know if the final election results are in, but I think we got rid of Kurt Schrader finally. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like step by step. I mean, that's, that's what it's going to take, Jim. So that's, you know, the bottom line is we all need to get active and get out there and get, you know, progressive Democrats elected. Thanks a lot for the call. It was a good one. Ron in, in Land Lakes, Florida. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you know, I've been looking at everything realistically. I'm down here in Florida, and on all the major highways, they have digital signs blaming Biden for everything. Really? And, you know, the only thing that we have to our advantage is the truth of what's really going on, but we are not pushing it the way we should. And you made a statement earlier 
about how all the people, not all but a lot, like the billionaires. It's not so much the billionaires. It's because they're white and billionaires. If they were black and billionaires, they wouldn't like them as well. I think it's policy more than race. You know, I think the race stuff is huge in America and it is, you know, being manipulated for political gain constantly. But, you know, billionaires and maybe not Oprah, but by and large, billionaires are looking out for their own. You know, their issues have to do with their industries and their personal taxes. That's fine. But frankly, I don't think the rest of us should, you know, have to suffer as a consequence of it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. That the president and the Pentagon are doing a little bit of a dance right now. He was, uh, you know, at this conference in uh, Japan and and uh, was asked, if China in invades Taiwan, will you, will America stand up militarily to protect Taiwan? And this is a question that, um, you know, we've always been ambiguous about. In fact, ambiguity is literally the policy. And uh, Biden instead simply said yes. He said that's the commitment we've made. Yes. So now the Pentagon's saying, well, he didn't mean yes, but he didn't mean no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, I have to say. You know, it was, it was Joe Biden when he was vice president who was asked about gay marriage and said, yeah, I'm in favor of it. And I think Obama is, too. He just won't say so. And a week later, Obama said so. And, you know, boom, now we got gay marriage. I mean, you know, there were, there were a whole bunch of steps in there, obviously, but it was a pretty big deal. 
President Biden has a tendency to speak what he's thinking, to say what he's what he actually believes. And I, you know, good on him. Whether we should get in a war in Southeast Asia is a whole nother topic that's worth discussing. Um, whether we should be the only defensive democracies, another topic that's worth discussing. Obviously, Japan is arming themselves insanely rapidly. I mean, like never before, because they've for 70 years they've been, where are the peace people? Uh, not anymore. Because of China. So we'll see how this plays out, but I just wanted to flag that for you. Meanwhile, almost 70% of Republican voters, this is a, uh, a new survey that just, just came out. This is from the U, UMass Amherst poll conducted by YouGov. Uh, almost 70% of Republican voters say the House of Representatives should impeach President Biden if their party takes over that chamber in 2022. So this fall, if Republicans take the House of Representatives, 70%, well, 68% is the actual number, 68% of Republican voters, registered Republicans say, impeach Joe Biden. What for? I mean, are you, you going to impeach him for, for keeping people alive through the pandemic? You're going to impeach him for encouraging, you know, good union jobs? You're going to impeach him for trying to raise, you know, the minimum wage? You're going to impeach him for getting, for ending the COVID crisis by getting you know, billions of shots into arms across the United States. You're going to impeach him for getting COVID tests in our homes for free. You're going to impeach him for, for you know, supporting our, our hospital system during this crisis. You're going to impeach him for cleaning up the mess that Trump left. Impeach him for what? When they asked 68% of Republicans and, uh, and Trump voters and 66% of conservatives said they would like to see the president, quote, charged by Congress for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. Really? I mean, that's what they went after Trump for. Apparently, they just don't think it's serious, what we did when we went after Trump. They don't think that Trump uh, blackmailing Zelensky, which is the first thing he was impeached for, blackmailing Zelensky and saying, uh, or extorting, actually, was, I think is the proper word. He, Zelensky had a contract with the United States to buy, as I recall, they were Stinger anti-tank missiles. Um, and uh, maybe wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. It was some sort of anti-tank missile. He had a deal with us to buy, uh, I think it was $400 million worth of them. And they were supposed to be shipped to Ukraine. And they never, they never arrived. And Trump invites Zelensky to the White House and says, you want, the, you want your missiles? Find some dirt on Joe Biden for me. And, you know, when Alexander Vindman heard that phone call, he, he did the whistleblower routine, and we now know about it, and they impeached Donald Trump for extortion. And, and, uh, I mean, that, that, that was a crime. And it should horrify every Republican. And then when, when Donald Trump encouraged people on January 6th to march down to the Capitol building and, and, and take names and kick ass, it wasn't the exact phrase he used, but there was plenty of phraseology that was very similar to it, along with Mo Brooks and his bulletproof vest and John Eastman, the guy who had, was organizing all the phony electors. And five people died that day. And, you know, the, the Capitol was desecrated. Uh, valuable ancient artwork was, was damaged. Feces were smeared on the walls and the floors. Uh, they, 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 somebody built a gallows. Now, who, who, the, who built the gallows? We still don't know. Somebody built a gallows. It couldn't have just been one person. That's a hell of a lot of wood. 
and it was well, well designed. I mean, somebody knew what they were doing. And they brought all that stuff and they put it together on the, on the lawn of the White House to hang the vice president of the United States. And then they went looking for him to do it. And Donald Trump was impeached for that. And these people are still saying, well, that was no big deal, but we do want to impeach Joe Biden. For what? Meanwhile, now, speaking of impeachable offenses, and you can impeach presidents who are no longer in office, by the way. What it does is it prevents them from ever running for office. Uh, Donald Trump, well, it, this started out, you know, Laura Logan, the, the uh, anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theorist who, who uh, is now a, once worked for CBS, is now a regular on right-wing, you know, the marginal right-wing networks. Um, she had reposted an, uh, a message from the uh, right-wing president of El Salvador saying that the United States is falling fast because of an enemy within. Now, she retweets that, and then Donald Trump posts a message retweeting that. Um, Trump reposts that. Uh, George, and then and another one uh, this, uh, calling for civil war. So George Conway says, nothing to see here, just a former president of the United States sharing a social media post advocating or predicting civil war in the United States. No biggie. Former Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman, who was a contractor with the National Security Agency, calls himself a disinformation hunter. He said, Trump mirrors his base. Pay attention. Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger from Illinois says, tell me how he's never egged on violence again. And Dean Obadala, I'll be on his show this afternoon, by the way, in the 7 o'clock hour Eastern time. Um, uh, my friend and uh, just a great talk show host. Um, Dean says, or Dean writes, quote, to Trump's suggestion of a civil war appears to forget that on January 6th, he and his forces tried that and failed. But the fact Trump can call for civil war today is only possible because the Department of Justice has not prosecuted Trump, despite it being 502 days since January 6th. This was a day or so ago, so it's been a few more days. So what, what is going on with the Republican Party? This, is, this has, as far as I can tell, and you know, the earlier story that I shared with you about the woman who's suggesting that um, Nancy Pelosi and, and President Biden are not actually humans, that they're actually demons. That's the kind of language that is uh, very often precedes murders, particularly in the third world, particularly in theocratic countries. This is, this is not a political party anymore. It's turned into a cult. And it's a cult that, you know, I think is quite dangerous. There's a, a new study, the Republican Party in the past year, over 100 extremist candidates are up for election as Republicans in this election. Uh, the, the, they've taken over, by the way, the, the, these hardcore right-wing crazies have taken over the party here in Oregon, and, and they're trying to take it over in a bunch of other states. Uh, same thing in uh, uh, Idaho next door. Republican figures are showing up and speaking at white nationalist gatherings where they applaud Putin and, and do Sieg Heil, Heil, literally Heil Hitlers. I mean, this happened and Marjorie Taylor Greene gave a speech there right after that. So 
a, a uh, research institute decided to try and get to the bottom of this. This is the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. And they did a study, and they, you know, how, how much extremism is happening inside the GOP. What they found, and this is shocking, if you, the 100 plus extremist candidates I, I mentioned are just at the federal level. If you look at the state level, 875 legislators in all 50 states, constituting nearly 22% of all elected Republican lawmakers, identified as partici participating members of extremist Facebook groups. This is how they did their analysis. They were looking at these hardcore extremist Facebook groups who are like calling for the over overthrow of the government of the United States. They identified 789 of these groups on Facebook and 875 legislators who are proud members of them. They also identified some 963 pieces of legislation, anti-human rights legislation, that have been introduced by these 875 legislators in all 50 states. The states with the highest percentage of extremist legislators were Alaska, 35%, Arkansas, 25%, Idaho, 22%, Montana, 22%, Washington State, 20%, Minnesota, 19%, Maine, 18%, and Missouri, 18%. We've got a, uh, we've got a problem here. I don't know how to say it beyond that. We have a problem in America with a political party that has been hijacked by, by religious cults and frankly, nuts. I, you know, pe people who are, who are not mentally well. And they're being celebrated by this party because they're, you know, because, yes, we love Donald Trump. What do we do about this? Are you encountering these people in your life? How do you deal with them? I got an email that was kind of like this from an old friend. I just, I just ignored it. I, you know, I'm, I, I, what do you do? How do you engage with these people? So we, the human race, have been blowing billions of tons of carbon dioxide, perhaps trillions of tons of carbon, into the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution, you know, for the last roughly 200, 250 years. And can we, can we pull it out? Can a trillion tons of excess CO2 be removed from our atmosphere? Uh, there's a fascinating new book out by Peter Fikowski. It's, it's titled Climate Restoration, The Only Future That Will Sustain the Human Race. And uh, Peter Fikowski, F-I-E-K-O-W-S-K-Y.com is his website, and P. Fikowski is his Twitter handle. And Peter is on the line with us. Peter, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, back at you. Glad to have you with us. So tell us what, you know, I, 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 when, when uh, uh, Lila Connors and, and, uh, and, and, and friends were uh, making this movie, uh, Ice on Fire, that Leo DiCaprio put together. We went to Germany together, and we were in Norway together. But in Germany, we visited one of these uh, giant experimental projects where they were extracting carbon uh, from the air and turning it into stone. The problem was that it, it, it took a whole lot more carbon to get the carbon out. I mean, you know, the, 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 just the energy ratio was all wrong. We'd, we'd burn you know, thousands of, of uh, well, I, I don't know the numbers actually, but you know what I'm saying. So, I know what you're saying, yeah. So, so how do we do this? How do we, how do we actually extract carbon dioxide from the atmosphere in a way that is, is net carbon neutral? Well, you know, they're really, you know, what's negative, fun right? about this, I love having written the book and talking about it because it's very good news. What's new about it is that if you set the goal of restoring the climate, the methods for doing it 
start jumping out at you. And so we have, you know, the first question is like, well, wait a minute, if it's that easy, why haven't we been doing it before? And the answer is, we, our goal was to reduce emissions, uh, which was, was fine in 1970. Today, our goal has to be to restore the climate. Now, to, restore, to get the trillion tons out, uh, we're going to end up doing the same thing that nature does. Uh, you and your listeners know that um, we have ice ages periodically on our planet. And the nature takes out a trillion tons of CO2 before each ice eats ah, before each ice age, and so we can do the same thing. And uh, then that that's one method I'll tell you about. And then a second method is over hundreds of millions of years, our planet saves uh, sequesters all of our carbon. Almost all of it is limestone. Ninety nine percent is limestone on the bottom of the ocean, which is old uh, seashells and so on. Mm -hmm. And so, we can also duplicate that and do that very rapidly. OK, so and how do we so, do this? Pete? Um, go ahead. So how do we do this? So how do we do this? Well, um, if we do the the sort of the ice age thing, which is the, the fast way, then Nature stores the carbon in the ocean. If you think about ocean as blue, that's beautiful, but it's not green. Green is when you have algae and you have photosynthesis happening. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And the difference between blue ocean and green ocean, most of the ocean is a little bit of iron. It's a, it's a critical nutrient required in incredibly small amounts. And in, normally it, it gets blown in as dust. Now occasionally it used to be that whales would pull it up from the bottom, but we killed off 95% of the whales. And so our ocean has been turning bluer and bluer and we've been sequestering less and less uh, CO2. And so uh, we can, uh, it's been demonstrated that we can spread uh, du uh, dust, much as a volcano spreads dust with iron or a dust storm from, um, from the Sahara. And 
that dust provides the iron and then sequesters a lot of CO2. And um, now, you know, I, I, you know I, I remember reading about this 30 years ago, you know, the idea that we could we could spray very, very tiny iron filings, essentially, or, you know, at almost a molecular level, particles of iron. Uh, yeah, just you know, iron dust. Yeah. Right, yeah, across the ocean, and you know it would it would provide food for plants, and those plants would extract carbon from from the water um, that had been absorbed from the air, and that yeah. water, and that carbon would become the body of the plants, and then over time those plants would die and settle to the bottom of the ocean, or they would become food for uh, animals that sequester that carbon in their shells, as you pointed out, and become ultimately limestone. But my understanding was that the early experiments on that were pretty ambiguous about whether you know it could be done or if it could even be done at scale. Uh, is, yes. Has something new happened? I'm unaware of. Uh, nothing terribly new. The main issue that the problem wasn't the science. The problem was the politics. And the huh. UN has been telling us that we have to reduce emissions. And so politically, the, the organizations which were demonstrating this, um, they call it the, the, uh, the iron hypothesis um, or iron fertilization. The, the groups that were doing it were pushed back by the environmentalists who said, listen, the UN tells us we need to reduce emissions. If we reduce CO2 levels as much as you're saying, we're not going to be able to motivate people to stop driving cars. Right. So you've got to stop pulling the CO2 out. And so which actually the, makes sense. I mean, you know, if, if you're hitting no, yourself well, in the head with a hammer, you stop hitting yourself with a hammer before you take the aspirin. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, look at politics. Politics, unfortunately, doesn't work that way. It became a political issue, right. not a not a scientific issue. Right. And you know, and so what what I've done here is saying that really this is about the survival and flourishing of humanity. And said it, you know, and once you accept that we need to do it, then you say, how do we do it? Um, Ten years ago, a test was done in the Gulf of Alaska, and um, uh, they demonstrated that. Oh, they grew a phenomenal amount of plankton and algae and a lot of fish. Um, there's very good evidence they got a lot of CO2 out. Um, you know, the evidence said it was almost 100 million tons in that one test with about 70 tons of iron dust. Wow. Yeah. And I, I was. And, and, you no, know, and no, no externalities, no negative consequences. No, no, no. Uh, very positive. The, the, uh, it's like fertilizing a garden, basically. Exactly. Yeah. The, the salmon harvest in Alaska the following year was four times what it had been. Huh. Um, the, so why have they not? Why aren't they doing this every year? Why hasn't this grown? Well, uh, it, the politics scared everybody off. And uh, a number of us have been promoting it the last few years. And it looks like you know, th there is an academic group that's beginning to uh plan and search for money to do academic testing. And there are at least one uh, commercial group, the one that did the the uh, work in Alaska. Right. They're also uh, working. The to scale, though, here, Peter, is is I mean, you know, the oceans are massive. I mean, it's you know, there's far more ocean surface on the planet than there is land. And, yes. and you know, if you're going to dig up, you know, tons and tons of iron ore and and refine out of that the iron and obviously that's going to produce a lot of co2 just in that process and then transport it and then grind it you know if it pulverize it and then transport it to an ocean and then dump it on the ocean you know i could see you know a thousand airplanes a day pouring stuff on the ocean and not even making a dent and well you know when we're talking about 
billions or hundreds of billions of tons of carbon? Or am I, am I missing something here? Yeah, yeah. The, the amount of iron is a, about a millionth of a part per million or a few millionths of a part per million. So it's a phenomenally small amount of iron. Hmm. Um, the, the, the story is that in 1990, the scientists who finally figured it out figured it out. And it was very hard to figure out because the amount of iron is so low that it, was, it wasn't until the late 80s they could even measure such a small amount. Anyway, so he went to a, 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 a meeting and he said, listen, if you give me half a tanker of iron, I'll give you the next ice age. And everyone sort of shook in their, in their seats saying, thinking, oh my God, that probably is true. That it, it's that that really? uh, concentrated, wow. and so uh, it. You know, uh, I, I was listening. I was on a meeting with the academics yesterday, and they were saying, "Well, you know, probably two seven forty sevens could do the whole thing." Wow, that's the, the, I'm I'm skeptical, but that's mind-boggling. We're talking with Peter Fukowski. He's got a new book out. It's called Climate Restoration: The Only Future That Will Sustain the Human Race. Peter, I'm going to hit a break here in a minute, and um, uh, but so very quickly, what other ways can we restore the climate besides uh, fertilizing our ocean? Yeah. So, so the other really great way is synthetic limestone. So if you think of an oyster and with its shell, it's very low energy. There's a company here in in uh, California, which makes synthetic limestone. So it does the same process that- You mean that they're pulling oyster. the carbon out of the atmosphere to make the limestone? Right, right. And then we ha it's a trillion dollar market and uh, for, the, for the rock. And we Is use- Is that through that a catalytic process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah, just just like an oyster. I mean, similar, but it's different. Right. But it, but again, uh, it was never needed before, and so they the developer of it said, you know what, this is the best way, second to ocean fertilization. This is the best way to get a lot of carbon out of the atmosphere. So there are strategies to restore our climate, and uh, the book is uh, by F Peter Fikowski, F I E K O W S K Y. Titled Climate Restoration, the only future that will sustain the human race. Peter, thanks for dropping by today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for talking. This My is pleasure. Great. My pleasure. Okay. Your, your book deserves a, a wider audience. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, the Bank of England is warning of apocalyptic food shortages. We'll cover that, and then I'll pick up your phone calls on the other side of this. Tim in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Hey, good afternoon. Calling you from the uh, armpit of America, District 11, Madison Cawthorns District. Oh, my. Well, you know, I told you, I don't know if you remember this, but I've known Madison for many, many years. We've fought together in the same dojo as he was growing up. And way back when, I was going to run against him, but a good friend of mine, Eric Gash, chose to run. But he pulled out a month prior to the uh, primaries. And of course, I'm the one that talks to the opossums and wildlife, been a wildlife artist for 40 years. But now I am for replacement theory, by the way. I totally believe in it. I believe we should replace every conservative Republican with a real American-loving Democrat based on FDR's social progress. So, yeah, I'm for replacement theory. Okay. Let's get them all out of here. Yeah, I get but it. But what I wanted to talk to you about was uh, was the if you go back and look at the 1968 William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal debate, mm -hmm. people will see, and that, that's a very interesting 
ideas that come from there. People will see that they were discussing the very same things that we are predicating all of the hate and vitriol and control and privatization. That was all being discussed back then. And, you know, a lot of the a lot of the arguments that that Buckley posed, and of course, without Buckley, you'd have no Rush Limbaugh. And by the way, without black entertainment television, BET, you'd have Fox News. That would, the Fox News would not exist, in my opinion. I can't prove this. But when, when BET reached, I think it was 18 million, 19 million subscribers, that's when Fox News came on board. And I believe that it was, somebody should really kind of research that, because to me, it was some, some sort of a... You know, uh, I, I think what you're looking at, Tim, is niche marketing. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that on a on a good on a good in a good week, Fox, you know, the top Fox shows will have three million viewers. Um, that's not a lot of Americans out of a country of 330 this was million people. Back in the people. 90s, early 90s. Remember? No, no, I, I get that, but but I think started in the 80s. Right. So so if if uh, Black Tele, if BET demonstrated that you know, okay, niche marketing can be very very profitable. You don't have to go for the big mass market. You can identify a, a, a segment of the market. In this case, black people that you're going to market to, and make money. Then you know, Rupert Murdoch comes along. He spent his whole life marketing to white right wing racists and says, well, hey, maybe I can make money marketing to white right-wing races. I'm assuming that's the essence of what you're arguing here. Absolutely. But go back and look at the, the Buckley-Vidal debate in 1968. Right. And I want to leave you with a couple of other things. We can prove why are Democrats, why do they lack cojones in doing anything? I mean, why, why can't we prosecute? Why can't we do what the Black Panthers did? I mean, I'm not advocating violence. But I sure as heck am advocating every minority own a gun and display it and show it, just like all these white guys walking around here do. And I'll tell you something else. Until Democrats quit contemplating their navels and thinking that everybody in the world is going to sit around, suck their thumbs, and say kumbaya, until they show with action, we're going to lose every election from here on out. And that's my biggest fear. We have the opportunity to be either virtuous or vicious. And look what the, Dem- the Democrats. I don't think those are our only two alternatives, Tim. And I think that you know Mallory Mc, what's her name, the, the McMorrow, the uh, this uh, uh, you know young woman from in the Michigan State Senate who got up and just raised holy hell. Um, she's now a media phenomena because precisely because, and for the same reason that that uh, AOC is and Bernie Sanders are, that we are beginning in our society to celebrate. Truth tellers, people who will tell the unvarnished truth and will tell it bluntly and 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 use, you know, and raise their voice to do it. And Why is it I'm seeing Democrats more of that happening. Won't, won't, like, well, I don't think you can, can, you can just say the Democrats, Why can't they ever Tim? ask Republicans a question like, hey, have you ever paid for an abortion? Do you know anybody that's paid for an abortion? How come Trump never got asked that question? How come we never ask that question of any of the Republicans that are running for office? I, you know, I don't know that nobody is asking that question. And again, I, I, I would say that there we? are Democrats who are taking these things on. There are Democrats who are, you know, very forward looking. There are also Democrats who have sold out. There are Democrats who are timid. There are Democrats who are just kind of hiding under a rock. And, you know, I get all that stuff. And I think that, you know, we need to move forward. <laughs> we absolutely need to move forward. Tim, thank you for your call. Joe in Parker, Colorado. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? All right. Well, not buying the UFO thing. Okay. Uh, the universe has a speed limit, the speed of light. It's three times 10 to the 8 meters per second. So at the speed of light, it takes 50,000 years for a beam of light to cross the uh, Milky Way galaxy from one side to the other. 
Now, if you're going to travel from one planet to another, you need to get there as fast as possible. And that means at the speed of light, it's going to take uh, slightly more than four years to get to the nearest star. Right. Now, we've got a problem uh, when it comes to relativity because... Um, as you get closer and closer to the speed of light, your mass starts expanding exponentially. Uh, yeah, until you get to the speed of light. Until it becomes infinite, infinite, yeah, at the speed of light. Right. So, fuel and more fuel is going to mean that the ship's heavier, yep. so you're going to need more fuel. No, I, I, I get the physics of it, or at least the Einsteinian physics of it. Um, I think the assumption is that... You know, as I said earlier, it's it's like you and I uh, having this conversation is like, you know, a couple of people sitting around in the late 1700s uh, saying, hey, you think there'll ever be a time that the words and pictures can go through the air from one side of the planet to the other instantaneously? Nah, there's no way. Well, words and pictures do not travel from one side of the planet to the other instantaneously. They appear to. Well, uh, well they tra they're traveling at the speed of light anyway. Yeah. You know, which so is close enough to instantaneous for most people. But, but I, get, I get what you're saying, and, and you're absolutely right. The speed of light is a, uh, a speed limit for the universe, as it were. Joe, thanks a lot for the call. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back. Okay, just wanted to flag this for you. You know, every now and then you come across one of these stories and go, whoa! And this was one of them. The, this is from the telegraph.co.uk. The governor of the Bank of England, his name is Andrew Bailey, he has warned of, quote, apocalyptic, his word, not mine, apocalyptic global food price increases, and said he is, again, his word, helpless in the face of surging inflation as the economy is battered by the war in Ukraine. This is what Tim Wallace writes over at uh, telegraph.co.uk. Uh, food prices are rising at the fastest rate in 30 years. He says he's increasingly concerned about a further surge in food costs if Ukraine, which is one of the world's major crop growers. I, I, I think most Americans don't understand the scale of this. Ukraine is the size of Texas. I mean, just let that sink in for a little bit. Ukraine is the size of Texas, except in Texas, they don't there's not a lot that they can grow. There's large chunks of Texas that are basically desert. That's not the case in Ukraine. All of Ukraine, or most all of Ukraine, is like Indiana. I mean, it's like, you know, fertile soil and, and deep soil and good crops. And, and they produce a large chunk of the world's wheat and the world's cooking oils. And the Russians have embargoed their ports. They, they are, you know, preventing ships from going into uh, Ukraine, to, uh, to these southern Ukrainian ports like, like uh, Odessa, preventing ships from going in to pick up these crops and transport them to the parts of the world that you know, typically Ukraine is exported to that desperately need them. And as a result, there is a growing crisis of food. And you know, in, the, in the wealthy world, we're all going to see this as an increase in the price of foods. 
but in the in the developing world you're going to see it as famine because many of these countries simply don't have the money to buy food and that and even before it becomes famine it'll probably uh, play out in many of these places like it did uh what six years ago seven years ago I've, i forget how long ago it was that that uh in tunisia you had a, a street vendor who was so upset about the the increasing price of wheat and again this was because of climate change driving the desert south and wiping out uh, in uh, syria and tunisia and libya wiping out the small-scale farmers um, as the desert came south uh, that these farmers were showing up in 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 syria they were showing up in damascus uh, you know demanding that that the government provide some housing and food for them because they literally had to leave their farms because they they, they'd been consumed by sand. And, and this, this uh, street vendor in Tunisia who was selling falafels and stuff lit himself on fire as a protest against the, the rising prices, making it impossible for him to make a living. And that tipped off, or whatever, however you'd say it, the Arab Spring. So, uh, you know, ex number one, I mean, the governor of the Bank of England is warning about apocalyptic food shortages. I would say this is going to go way beyond that. This is also going to be an apocalyptic political moment. Uh, this is what the governor said. I, the, the actual quotes from the governor of the Bank of England, he said, the risk I'm going to sound rather apocalyptic, I guess, is food. Ukraine does have food in store, but we can't get it out of the country at the moment. We have no way of shipping it out as things stand, and it is getting worse that is a major worry, and it's not just a worry for this country, he's talking about the United Kingdom, it's a major worry for the developing world. And uh, then he goes on to say this, again, Andrew Bailey, the, the governor of the Bank of England, uh, the equivalent of our Fed chair, he said to forecast 10% inflation and say there's not a lot we can do about 80% of it, I can tell you it's an extremely difficult place to be. We have to recognize the reality of the situation we face. Amazing stuff. Get ready. Dr. Bay in Hartford, North Carolina. Hey, Dr. Bay, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon, and it's, it's Hartford, but just call it the Albemarle Sound. Um, I have to take you to task because we keep leaving the big gorilla in the room. It's, when people say white supremacy, it's not white supremacy. It's rich, colorless supremacy. And all the things you see rolling out have to do with those who have the power to make things happen. And you can talk about the psychopaths who do things, but where do they get these ideas from? They get the ideas. Tucker Carlson is being paid lots of money uh, to do what he does. Yep. Okay, so this is all in together. The issues about food, why do people in a place like Africa, which was the breadbasket of the world for a very long time, have to go and get wheat from Ukraine? Those questions need to be asked, and people can get involved by helping um, many of those communities to do what they do, sending money, but they're being suppressed by those who have the most money, who have the most interest. And so when we talk about CRT, no one says CRT, put it together with your GRT, because the truth is Europeans and those of European ancestry, you're less than 15% of the population of the world. I thought it was less so than if that. If you're looking at it that way, you're always under duress because yeah. you are not dominant in your 
Your phenotype is the only thing we're really talking about here. Right. Your phenotype is not dominant. So we're talking about money. And everything that's been done in Africa and all the other places around the world because they have the resources. Well, once you start talking about phenotypes, you're, you're conflating money with that. And, and, and what we're really talking about is, is an elite, a system, a worldwide system that was created arguably four or five hundred years ago. A worldwide system uh, to control the economics of the planet for the benefit of one particular racial group. No, it's not the racial group. See, that's where people get confused. It's not a racial group because they're not trying to control it for you, Tom. They use race as just a lever to make other people of European ancestry buy into something when the same thing was done to them in Europe. But the, but the fact sure. of the matter is, Dr. Bay, there, there are only, I believe there are only three or four, maybe five or six black billionaires in America. I mean, it's... It's uh, all around the world. Go ahead. Yes, but that is not, that's in America. But that is not, that's how you get people like Idi Amin to do what he does. Because now he rolls into that, quote unquote, that class. Yes, it was started. We're not going to argue that point because you're right. It was started by Europeans. The doctrine of discovery. Which was a manifestation of all the, um, the avarice. Right. of the European quote-unquote conquerors, and they said this is the reason why. So, and the church did this. So we just, we, we just have 20 seconds before we hit this hard break. Um, what do we do about this? Uh, the education piece, the CRT. And when everybody starts you know, getting on that, the Democrats, many of them are being paid off. And they're not willing to change where they're at because they're happy, they're comfortable. And this has a lot to do with it. People are comfortable, and they don't think it's going to happen to them. They're not worried about so-called black people or any other kind of people because it's blackness. They don't care about that. They're getting paid, and that goes for Herschel Walker. He's getting paid. Tim Scott, he's getting paid. Off we go. I get it. I get it. Dr. Bay, thank you. Bob in Desert Hot Springs, California, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I just wanted to get your opinion and make a comment. I don't know why Fox is allowed to call themselves a news channel. They're just an opinion channel. Well, there's no, there's nobody who's an arbiter of what is and isn't news. So that's, okay. that's how they, you know, it's just branding. Okay. Fair enough, Tom. But I did want to ask you, I remember back in the 60s, they used to have commercials, and I think they were government commercials, where they sponsored brotherhood, uh, they sponsored reading. I remember the slogan for reading was, the more you learn, the more you earn. Or reading is fundamental. Those were from the Ad Council. And, and what, yeah. what the Ad Council did, which was funded by the advertising industry in part, I, there may have been government grants in there as well, but because radio and television stations couldn't always sell all their advertising inventory, they had to have something to fill that empty space with, and the ad council would come up with these ads. And so typically when you saw those ads, it was because they couldn't sell the space. If this was pre-1987, occasionally radio and television stations would use those ads to fulfill their public service requirements, although typically they did that with news and local announcements, you know, the, the church bake sale will be Thursday, that kind of stuff. But that's, what that, that's, what that, that's where that came from, Bob. Okay, fair enough. Why doesn't the president or the Democratic Party 
put those commercials on TV and promote love. Well, they're still out there. I mean, I've I've been watching, I mean, I've watching TV here and I'm seeing ads for, you know, don't drive drunk. I'm seeing PSAs that have been, have come out of some group here in Oregon that are, you know, state specific, you know, don't text and drive, stuff like that. They're still out there. And I see a little bit on CNN, they advertise, you know, we only deal with facts. Right, but typically it's when they can't sell an ad, sadly. I mean, you know, it's, you know. (laughs) Okay, but, you know, we have a big issue today. We need to promote love. Love will always out-duel hate. And then they're winning the game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Running ads that are promoting, you know, the flip side of racism, I guess. That's a good point. Okay, thank you very much, Bob. That's, That's a great idea. Charles in Coos Bay, Oregon. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. While waiting on hold here, I've been uh, looking at my ballot, which I was planning on dropping off later today. I was very disillusioned, though, upon perusing it as a nonpartisan voter. It really does leave us out of the loop on almost anything. Do you have closed primaries in Washington State or open primaries? This is Oregon. Oh, you're in Oregon. So, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Coos Bay. Yeah. So we have closed primaries here. So you. Closed primary. So are yeah. you registered as an independent? You're. you're you didn't I, get. I'm. I'm not registered under any party affiliation. So, right. So the ballot you got was it. basically just for the non-political positions, like judges and things. Correct. Now, five of those six judges are running unopposed, so those votes seem pretty meaningless to me. The two county commissioner positions, allegedly nonpartisan, are involving some of the most partisan politicians I've ever encountered in my life. And on looking at it, there's really only two positions that have any relevance to me, uh, the county clerk and the commissioner of Bureau of Labors and Industries, which I guess is better than nothing, but it does feel me kind of left out of the loop. And I think the origins of this, what what I was doing on hold is I kind of was trying to figure out the origins. And I think it goes back to 1929, the beginning of the end of what was a hopeful growing democracy. And that's when the House capped the number at 435. And when I found this out, I was just I was blown away that there were a series of about six or seven votes between 1910 and 1929 that capped at a, when we had a population of about 122 million. It capped the number in the House at 435, which is still the number today at a population of 330 million. How is this a representative democracy when that one to citizen ratio has been so far expanded? We should have 1,100 people in our House of Representatives, not 435. Well, and based I've on, based on the today. metrics of the 1920s. I mean, India has the, the world's largest parliament, but it doesn't mean that they're any less vulnerable to a demagogue like Modi. Charles, I get your point. I don't have an easy solution for it, and I guarantee you they're not gonna they're not gonna change the number of representatives any day soon. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It is a this is a game you've got to play. And you can't play if you're not registered to vote. So make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure everybody you know is registered to vote. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com. 
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.